Whether you're a writer of books or songs or a reader of books and a listener to songs, you're going to really enjoy these interviews with some of our leading songwriters and authors. I certainly enjoyed conducting them. My name is Sophie Green and I am your host. Tony Jordan has worked as a molecular biologist, quality control chemist, TAB operator and door-to-door aluminium siding salesperson. She is the author of six novels, including the international bestseller edition, which was long listed for the Miles Franklin Award. Tony holds a Bachelor of Science in Physiology and a PhD in Creative Arts, so she has been very busy on the academic front. Still has time to write, and her most recent novel is The Wonderful Prettier If She Smiled More, which was released earlier this year, which is still putting a smile on my face. Hi, Tony. Hello, Sophie. But I have to tell you that that was my seventh. That was my seventh I did novel. actually, well, I got the bio from the website and I thought I'd just better check. I better update the website in that yes, case. Yes, there right. you go. So it's on me. It was, it was the publisher <laughs> website, not yours. I should have gone to you. Seven novels. There you go. Yes, Congratulations. That is a great achievement. It's um, a miracle, I think. <laughs> I'm sure your fans would disagree. Um, <laughs> you do not need a miracle to you have because you have all this wonderful talent. So oh I will goodness. start with Pretty If She Smiled More because it is a companion novel to its predecessor, which is Din- Dinner yes. with the Schnabels. Could you, or Schnabels, could you please tell us about the Schnabel family and well, how it came to you? It, it's the first time I've actually sat down and thought to myself, you know what, I'm going to write a, a comedy, like Mostly I start with a character or a, a, a vibe or some kind of thing that is inside the story. And this is the first time I've actually thought, no, I'm deliberately going to sit down and write a comedy. That was really where it started, which is, you know, an unusual place to begin, I think. Um, so I just tried to think about um, in the first book I decided about the family And I thought, because this is the introduction to the family, I'd start with someone slightly outside the family. Mm -hmm. So I started with um, uh, Simon, who is like the sort of has married into the Schnabel family. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always hoped that I could stretch it into a kind of uh, a larger saga. I've always been a big fan of Marion Keys and those... um, you know, those Walsh sister books where she moves around the Irish family and, and looks at the different kind of sisters. Mm-hmm. I thought that would be a really great kind of and cool thing to do for a very typical Australian family. So that was kind of the goal. But mostly I just, you know, I was writing the first book during 2020 and what I needed more than anything else was a laugh and I thought that maybe... <laughs> People might need a laugh as well. So that was entirely my intention. So when you picked Simon as an outsider character, I'm wondering if it's because you felt like you had to get to know the Schnabels the way he did because they were still, because you hadn't started with a character, you started with the with the idea of writing a comedy. So was that part of, or was it not even a conscious calculation? It was just yeah, he no. came to you. It really was a conscious calculation. I thought if I'm going to be looking at this whole family and, and hopefully, depending on... <laughs> I can keep thinking up things for them to do, um, uh, to cover a lot of them. I want to start a little bit outside so I can get a view, like an exterior view of what of what it's like, of what all of them are like together instead of just launching into one of them straight away. That was definitely kind of my introductory plan. Did they surprise you as a family? They always surprise me. Um, it's really what is what I love most about it is, the point of view I've chosen is this 
kind of close third person mm -hmm. kind of perspective. So in every book, you see the world very much from the point of view of the particular character who's the protagonist. Mm -hmm. But then in the in the next book, in Prettier, if she smile more, Simon, who is our protagonist in the first book, you see him as other people see him rather than as he sees himself. And this is something that really I love more than anything, the, the, the gap between the way we see ourselves and the way other people see us. Yes. So, for example, Simon spends an enormous amount of time thinking about Kylie, who is, is his sister-in-law, who's the protagonist of the second book, and, and what is she thinking and, and you know, she's judging him or whatever. When we get to her book, Kylie's not thinking about Simon at all. Like, makes <laughs> up a minuscule part of her brain. And that idea of um, that what we're like on the inside and what we're like on the outside, to me that has a lot of surprise in it because yeah. you don't see that from the exterior, you don't see what people are like inside. Um, and it's a really, it's to me it's a really fascinating part of human psychology. Uh, Kylie does have a lot of other things to think about apart from Simon. And part of what I love about her as a character is that she has these traits which if you looked at them on the list, you'd think, oh, that person's not very likable. Like they're, they're, anti they're quite anti-social. She's yeah. extremely rigid, yeah. you know, she's got her way of doing things. But it all comes from this place, well, at least I thought, of her just wanting to be a decent person. Like she just wants to really be in the world and try to be useful and try to contribute and these, this is the way she's going about it and it may not suit everyone else's idea of what that looks like but she's actually she feels pretty good about how she's doing it a lot of yeah, the time and, and look I love that you said this thank you so much because something I really enjoy is writing characters that are not super likable at least at the beginning and um I have to try and say to readers please just give them a chance um because once you once you figure out their their background their context why they're behaving like this what's going on in their head you kind of see them in a new light and I love that ability to shift our view of somebody once we learn more about them um and and hopefully by the end of the book like at the beginning she's an absolute pain you just think oh my god she's like a <laughs> but then you see you know what's motivating her to be this way and and some of the thinking that's going behind um her actions um and Simon was pretty much the same you know um I, I love the idea of caring for people the more we learn about them mm -hmm. and and it's something it's the kind of character arc that I really love um to kind of write and of course it is at odds a bit with how social media presents everyone to the world which is like me straight away and I need to be likable straight yeah. away it doesn't give any of us the time to get to know anyone else and reserve judgment I guess until we do but I mean I remember when I met Kylie at the start of the book the thing that that gave me the clue to her was actually how she dressed how it was a uniform and I thought this is someone who's just trying to control her world for some reason so I actually didn't find her unlikable I thought that was a really interesting detail and it's like mm, there's something else going on here that's really lovely that you picked that up thank you and and it's a it's a it's a response I I kind of really enjoy when when kind of people say oh I'm a, I'm a chapter in like I don't know if I can continue because I I don't like her I can't stand her I'm like please just give her a try so thank you <laughs> thank you for giving her a try <laughs> but it, it doesn't surprise me that you're interested in what makes people tick because your academic background as in Bachelor of Science in Physiology so that is literally the things that make us tick 
really. On a cellular level, yes. 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 I've always loved um, working out how things work. Mm-hmm. And um, my science degree was, I mean, I've worked in um, bench research uh, uh, in protein chemistry mostly for quite a few years. But the idea of really drilling down and figuring out how something worked on a cellular level or on a molecular level is was really exciting to me and and it's the same with people you know how do they work what actually makes them tick what makes them respond in the kind of weird ways that we see people respond it's fascinating so when you do sit down to write do you spend a bit of time trying to figure out at least the start of how your character is going to tick I guess if you're if you start with a character um, you would think right you would think that would <laughs> well, be maybe you write your way into it this is the other I do <laughs> I do write my way into it it's something that I've learned um it's interesting that you used the word control when you talked about Kylie because I think if you look back over all my work now that I have this surprising number of novels you can see that control is probably the thing I touch on the most mm-hmm. and something that I learned in the first little while of writing fiction is it's uncontrollable really <laughs> for me it's uncontrollable it, it should be and it's part of um, the thing I've had to learn to move from science to the humanities is um, to stop overthinking to let go of the idea that I can control things. But I don't think this is a woo-woo. This is not a, you know, my characters come from, I have to, something. It's it's the fact that that we have a subconscious mind or an unconscious mind that is doing an enormous amount of the work for us yeah. and that we are by nature storytelling animals who have sat around fires and told stories about the shapes of the stars or or the seasons or whatever for for countless millennia and if we just well I'm speaking about me if I just get out of my own way and stop trying to think I'm the boss of something and I can rationalize everything and and think my way out of everything if I just can just grab that that front brain person and tie her up and put a gag in her mouth and stick her in a cupboard um something will come out and then for the second draft, yeah, I let her out, I make plans and yeah. I spreadsheet things and I I um, look at, you know, the shape of things and I divide up manuscripts in the on the floor and I, I have a whiteboard and I do, all, I do do all that, but I don't do it at the beginning because I think that um, a story will, if I can just get out of my own way, a story will come. Uh, get out of your own way is the advice I give the most actually when people are like, is it really writing advice like get out of your own way the other one is get over yourself <laughs> yeah I am get over yourself is the thing I say to myself more, more often like you know I, and I often about the way I look you know I I'm standing in like I'm gonna go out or I'm doing a talk or something I'm looking and I'm going is this bit of hair it's like and I'm thinking oh get over yourself no one cares about what your hair is like for god's sake they're not gonna remember you five minutes after you finish talking. So just, you know, that's what I say to myself more often. (laughs) Um, Also thinking another parallel between science and fiction is actually in science, particularly in research, you're often testing hypotheses. And I guess writing a novel is a big test of a hypothesis. You know, what what is my theory here about this story or about this family or about this character and how it's going to turn out? 
am I going to get a result out of this if I write myself way through it? I think that's remarkably astute. <laughs> I mean, um, in both cases, you have to use your creativity to come out with something for the in the first place. I mean, in science, you've got to have a concept before you can design an experiment to test whether it's true or not. And you're right. I have to see if can I make this um, person believable. The changes that she goes through, or, or rather, the changes that the reader goes through when when they learn more about her, is can I make that work? The whole thing is like an enormous intellectual puzzle that um, I've just never gotten bored with, even after all these years. Just the fact that you can sit down and and <laughs> using like ink and paper kind of make someone that seems real. It's just such a absorbing kind of way to spend your time. I'm continually absorbed by it. Um, and I'm also uh, just reflecting on what you said about how the second draft work is different to the first draft. So the second draft, you're planning, you've got spreadsheets, all that sort of stuff. I always think that a second draft is such a, or you know, if you're doing structural editing, it's a very different rhythm to that first draft. And it can be a discombobulating rhythm, I think particularly if you're not used to it. I'm wondering if through the course of your novels, you've you were always comfortable with that rhythm if you were always doing that kind of planning at the second draft and and doing it in a different way or if it's something you had to get used to it's my more natural kind of default right so I'm a lot more comfortable doing that in the in the um that second half of it it's uh it's where I feel uh, most at home during that kind of rational reasoning kind of work and um it's the if I could write the whole novel like that, like these people who are, you know, very serious plotters who work it out, you know, by page, what character, what the characters are like, draw plans for it. Like I really think I would enjoy that, almost in, enjoy that, at least feel more comfortable in that process. Mm -hmm. But I know that that is not the way for me to do it. I've got to jump off the cliff with that parachute and just kind of make it up as I go along in order to have something to, to work on. So when you wrote Edition, which was your first novel, is that something you instinctually knew about yourself, the jumping off the cliff that had to happen? Um, it was because I was struggling to catch up, really. Mm -hmm. um, I had, I, I, at that point I was working for a pharmaceutical company um, doing marketing for them and, and I had written a lot of kind of marketing documents, which there's a whole thing in pharmaceuticals where that, that has to comply with various laws about what you're allowed to say about things. And before that, I had written drug dossiers for the TTA. Um, so it was all bound up with this idea of regulation. And then um, I'd enrolled in a, a TAFE course, a writing course, so I could get a qualification in technical writing and start up my own technical and scientific writing business. Um, and I enrolled in a creative subject, really just for the fun of it, because I'd never done anything creative in my life before and I would have said, did not have a creative bone in my body. Gosh. And I was in my late 30s and had never written anything before. And I had somehow imagined... This is going to sound so ridiculous because it is. That there was, when you started in a writing course, they would spend like six months teaching you how you get ideas and what makes a good idea and how, like I thought there would be a process. I mean, people have been writing novels for a long time. There would be a process that I could learn which taught you how to 
something, right? And to my horror, I discovered when I started in the class that not only was everyone like 15 years younger than me, but they already had a novel that that they had started. Like they oh, were right. already, you know, they had they had enrolled in the course because they were writers. Okay. They weren't, they hadn't really enrolled in the course in order to learn how to write a novel. They were already writers. Okay. And I felt so, um, like I was the only one I feel, you know, my memory is that I was the only one who did not have a work in progress in that mm-hmm. in that first class. So I really just had to kind of jump in and, and catch up to, to what I thought was happening. Um, and uh, in addition, I just got the idea on a plane for this this woman who counts things and I just started writing and, and didn't think about it at all. So was it a surprise to you that that idea came to you, given that you thought that maybe there was a process that could be taught about how to get ideas as opposed to them just sort of being popped out of the office? So when it popped into your head, did you think, wait a second, what do I do with this? Yeah, it was really, this is still a really interesting and pivotal moment in my life because I started the course in like March, you know, whenever these courses start. And um, I was just doing little exercises and, and sort of shuffling my way through up until then. And then the idea for edition came to me in September. And it was almost like, oh, this is an idea. Like, oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> okay, this is what they look like. Um, and uh, once I once I had the idea, then it became a matter of trying to do something with it, which is a much easier process than, you know, the idea at, in the beginning, to me at least. Yeah. So I, I had kind of then the joy of, of unpacking this amazing kind of counting woman and, and seeing um, how she views the world. Right. And then ideas subsequent to that, are you someone who collects ideas as they come to you and then decides which is going to work or is it one that's one that stays with you and you think, okay, this is knocking on the inside of my head, I have to do something with it? It's, it's because it's so rare. It's like one at a time. Like it's a miracle if I get one. <laughs> they're like they're like flying elements that go past me. Like like. It, I'll, I'll give you an example. The first four books I wrote, so uh, Edition Four Girl, um, uh, Nine Days, which was historical fiction, mm-hmm. and Our Tiny Useless Hearts are all first person because that's all I could do. So even the historical fiction is first person. Like I had seriously, I attempted a few other third person pieces, but I would first person has its challenges I don't mean to like absolutely has its challenges like moving people around is a challenge starting and ending scenes a challenge all that um and just and information dispersal all tricky but for me the point of view that in what 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 I was capturing on the page was clear right because the camera's right here so the, the camera's right here in the protagonist so whatever she saw I could do and there was no spooky decisions about what she could see or what was appearing or what wasn't appearing, right? So I and I had attempted a few other short pieces in third person, which were uniformly dreadful. Like I just had no like was was I seeing it from up here, like down like that, or was it over there? Or and then it would move, but not move in a you know elegant pointed fashion, move in a random fashion because I couldn't work out what was appearing. Um, I even published a, a a story that was in third person, but that's because I wrote it in first person first and then went through and methodically changed everything 
like all the eyes to she's, etc. So that was honestly the only way I can conceptualize it. And then when I came to write the fragments, which was my fifth book, the idea would only have worked in third person. Like right. it, it, the idea was totally reliant on the information that was withheld from the reader and the information that was being withheld from uh, the characters. It it would not have flown in in um, in first person. So because the idea was so rare, I hadn't had an idea for like three years. I had to have, I had to do it. I had to force myself to learn how to write third person rather than give up on the idea because the idea is so much was so scarce. It still is. Like it takes me years to get an idea. Well, and you know, the Schnabels have been in third person. So obviously once you made that shift, it it sat pretty comfortably. Yeah, once I could figure out how to do it, but there was a lot of like tens of thousands of words of practice while I tried to figure it out. Um and and figure out exactly what the voice was doing and exactly what the point of view was doing and what am I seeing and what's the point of what I'm seeing. And if the if the point is exactly the same as the first person, then what's the point then of being in third person? So I had to, and that's why I'm so fond of this idea of the gap between the internal and the external, because that's far more easily captured in third person. Yeah. Um, yes, I, I tend to find there is more flexibility in third person. So I actually don't think I could write first person. So you were saying, you know, that was the only thing I could do. I'm like, I don't think, I don't think I could do that. It's amazing. <laughs> well, you know, look, thank you, but it, it does have its challenges, but to me there were lesser challenges yeah. than, than figuring out what was appearing at all, like what, what was going on. I still have this idea in my head that one day I'd like to do some kind of sweeping Dickensian kind of thing where everybody can see in everybody's heads. Ooh. Um, but I don't know. I've got the chops for that. I have to get a bit better, I think it's. I'm sure you have the chops for it. I'm now intrigued and want to read that book. <laughs> but yeah, by the time you had the Schnabels, you had a cast of characters essentially with you and um, they had their relationships with each other and, and Simon was the outsider. But I'm wondering when you were writing that first Schnabels book, if they were, if they, if it felt like they were your companions, like they were kind of hanging off you uh, while you were writing it, not leaving you alone, inviting you to their dinner table. Well, the biggest problem in that regard, of course, is Gloria, who is the mother, the matriarch of the family, um, because I just could not shut her up. I have pages and pages of deleted Gloria scenes because she just would not, she just would not shut up. Pretty funny, so, though. <laughs> I'm trying to write this story that's like Simon's story or Kylie's story, and I've just got pages and pages of Gloria because she's so easy to write for. And um, she's very, um, she's not my my mother, absolutely not. My mother <laughs> was a very different woman. But but some of my mother's core beliefs I did take for for Gloria. Like, like um, for example, um, Gloria thinks that men should not have the vote, right? Men should not be allowed to vote because they're too emotional to make such a serious decision. And you can see how emotional they are when you go to the football these are people should not be trusted with the right to vote. And this is 100% my mother. So uh, quite a few of, of Gloria's core beliefs kind of I did steal from my mother. Um, but, yeah, she's very much herself and very easy to write for. Like the more outrageous people are, the, the you know, the funnier they are. And, you know, just the little details of her that I still really love, like that she has a, a fridge full of, little chutney and pickle jars and chutneys, pickles, relishes with just a tiny bit left at the bottom that are decades old because she thinks used by dates are a conspiracy by big pickle. 
and like the whole that that I like these little details about her I just love so she was just really a delight she just wrote herself when you said uh she shared some of your mother's core beliefs I thought you were going to say including how a martini is made (laughs) my mother was not a drinker but but she but uh yeah, Gloria's very rigid about these kind of things. See, all my characters really, all my, it's, when you really unpick it, all my characters have some kind of control issues. There's very few kind of relaxed, you know, um, take it easy kind of characters. I'm thinking I, I might uh, come back to the Schnabels and I'm thinking about Nick, who is the son of the family, so Kylie's brother. He might actually be my first ever sort of, Lays up fair, chilled <laughs> character. It will be a challenge for me. But <laughs> so he is a bit looser than the others. But yeah. Most I think most people like a bit of control in their lives because it helps us make sense of the universe. Things like a uniform, uh, or the same thing for lunch every day, or going out the same time to the bus or whatever it is. Just these little things do feel like control in a random universe. But is that just us, Sophie? Is that like? <laughs> Like is that Maybe I'm just yeah. revealed too much. exactly? <laughs> I feel like there's a whole world of relaxed people out there who have different things for lunch every day and How don't know what they? they're wearing till they wake up in the morning. It's astonishing. Yeah. <laughs> well, good luck to them. But some of us have books to write, so we have to organise things. So, um, quite a few writers have their favourite spot to write or a particular process. Are you, are you someone who? back to the I guess the issue of control do you need to be in the same environment every time you write or are you a bit less so fair about it um I can be away for little bits I have uh I can't show you in this office but I have lots or you can see my piles behind me so these are the essentials so this is part of my to be read pile and this on the other on the other side is part of the bar so These are like it's essential having these two kind of that can't dominate each other sort of sides to it. I can be away for a little while, but I I read a lot, mm-hmm. and um, it's really helpful to have the books that I love and go back to um, when I'm writing a new book. So it's kind of handy to have them there. So when you say you go back to books, is that because there are particular books that that provide different sorts of inspiration each time you yeah. reread them. Yeah. But there's things like like Zadie Smith's white teeth. If I live to be 100, I will never understand how she pulls that off. Like the the voices, the characters, the dialogue, the dialogue. Like I have read that book 15 times yeah. and I still cannot understand how she manages it. Mm-hmm. Um uh, there's a number of books where I that I read and I think, how is that even possible? Like, how did someone actually do that? It's really, you know, quite. It doesn't have to be like an enormously big book. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, um, I'm just thinking about um, uh, what is it? Um, Less by Andrew Sean Greer. Do you know that one? Yes, I do. Yeah. Like the voice in that is astonishing. It's like this floating first person that you almost forget is a first person until the end when you realise who the narrator is. Spoiler. Um, but like there's some things that are so remarkable that mm-hmm. I revisit just to try and figure out how it works, like to lift the hood and see mm-hmm. how the engine actually functions. And, and 
some things you can figure out, you know, quite easily. Oh, I see what what is happening here, what you're doing here. But some things are continually mystifying. So if I were to ask you for a, a tip for aspiring writers, I'm imagining that read, maybe. <laughs> read, read. But, um, you know, uh, I I think you're, you, if you're asking me what my, what the best advice I have for, um, for novelists, the best advice I ever received when I was starting is that E.L. Doctoro quote, which is, Writing is like driving at night in the fog. You can only see as far as your headlights, but you can make the whole trip that way. You know, that famous kind of quote. Um, and I say this to, to emerging no- novelists all the time. I say, they will say something to me like, I have an idea for a project, but I don't know the ending, so I can't start yet. Or I have an idea for a project, but I need to have gone to Paris and I can't start yet or whatever it is. And Mark, like, just start, just start. You do not know what you, what you need to know yet. Mm -hmm. As you work on it, things will come to you. Just begin, begin is Mm -hmm. is kind of my, (laughs) it's the thing I say most often to people. Um, I think not knowing the ending is part of the fun. I don't want to know how it is. Absolutely right. I I often talk to other writers and sometimes they'll say something like, you know, it's hard to sit at the desk. You know, they don't, you know, bum glue we talk about sometimes. Like it's hard to force yourself to sit at the desk. And my view is I'm excited every day because I genuinely want to know what's going to happen next. Like I do not know what's going to happen next. Let's see what these kind of people can get up to. It's fascinating to me. Well, Tony, I could keep talking to you for ages because I'm sure there is a lot more to ask, but um, I have taken quite a bit of your time. So I'm going to ask you one last question. So for the writers, I'm asking about music. So I'm wondering if there's any music you particularly love. I don't write with music, so I'm not going to ask you if you write with music, but is there music that inspires you or particular musical artists you love? Um, I don't write with music and I'm not very good with music. I'm a little bit tone deaf. And I'm a little bit um, not really a music person, but I actually took the, uh, I expected you would ask this because I've listened to these before, Sophie. So I went back and had a look through my most common playlists and it tells me Fiona Apple and Darren Hanlon. Ah. So both very kind of lyric heavy, I guess, almost narrative kind of styles. So that's what it's telling me on my list. And, of course, I love a bit of Tay-Tay, but who doesn't? Oh, look, absolutely. And um, for those who don't know Darren Hanlon, Australian artist, and the wonderful Fiona Apple, who does not make music anymore, I don't think, but um, did make some wonderful albums. So they are available everywhere. Tony Jordan, what a treat to talk to you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Sophie. Thanks for listening to the Writing Books and Music podcast. If you'd like to know more about the writer you've just listened to, please go to the show notes.